All right, we continue our, our Lucan series in Luke chapter 15. Let's begin looking at verses 1 and 2, 1 and 2. Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to him and to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. They are bothered, the religious authorities, the Pharisees and the scribes, they are bothered by the fact that our Lord, that Jesus is affiliating with sinners. As a result of their accusations of his bad affiliations with sinners, Jesus tells them three stories. The third story is the best known. It's known to you as the parable of the prodigal son. I'd like to retitle it this morning as the thankful father. There's only one character that plays a part in every conversation in the story, and it's not the runaway boy. It's the father. It's the certain man who has two sons. In every conversation of the characters, we find the meaning of the parables in these conversations, and only the Father, who represents God, converses every time characters are on the stage. And, and I want you to notice there are never three characters on the stage, it's always two. It's the Father and the younger son, and then the father and the older son, but always only two. There's never a discussion amongst them all. Well, as we begin there, I would say in verse 11, a certain man had two sons. The star of the story is the certain man who partakes in all the conversations who reveals the meaning of the message of the parable. In fact, this certain man represents none other than God himself. Well, in verse 12, the younger son says to his father that he wants his inheritance. Give me the share of the state that falls to me. Now, it's hard to make too much of the actions of this runaway boy. By demanding his portion of the inheritance, which would be one-third. Now, I'm against it, but it was the law. I'm the second-born son. The oldest son got two-thirds, and the second son got one-third. It's a bad law, but that was the law in those days. And so he gets one-third of the inheritance. He is treating his father as if his father is already dead. I can't wait for you to die to get my money. I need my money now. That was the father's social security in his older years. He didn't care about the care of the father. He only cared about himself. In fact, let me translate it for you this way. Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my money now. But since you won't die, I'll just take my money and go. In fact, I found some ancient Jewish writings, extra biblical, outside of Scripture, that warned Jewish fathers about paying out the inheritance before they died. Don't do that. Don't make regrettable, regrettable rash decisions and distribute your wealth before your death. 
Well, the father had been warned by ancient Jewish writings, but he didn't listen. The boy's probably about 17 years of age, and he declares that his relationship with his father and his relationship with his family is over. Show me the money. So 512, I, I entitled it The Younger Son. I attended a conference of pastors a few years ago, and one of the ministers shared the story that on a Sunday night following church, that the son met his parents at the house and handed his father a three-page, single-space type letter, and it could be summarized this way. Dear mom and dad, you're great parents, but to be totally honest with you, I don't buy this Christianity thing anymore. I will come to church with you when I'm home from college so dad, pastor dad, can save face. But when I'm away at school, don't ask. I am not going to church. I am finished with the gospel. The father began to weep. He said, I have failed you as a pastor if you do not understand the gospel any better than that. No, no, Dad, it's not about you. Don't make it about you. I'm finished with the Christianity thing. And during that prayer time with those pastors, another pastor opened up and said, you know, my daughter did the same thing. She told me that she was through with the Christian faith. After the prayer time was over, I watched these two pastors embrace because each knew the other's heart of having a wayward child as none of the rest of us had experienced. The dad said to his son, who was done, if you want to go on a journey of seeking truth, I'll go with you. If you want to read the great secular philosophers, we'll read them together. We'll talk about them together. I will go on the journey with you, but I will not get stuck. Some people go on the journey and they get stuck and they never come home. And if that's what you're going to do, if you're not going to be open-minded to truth, then I don't want to go on the trip with you. But if you want to do an honest examination, we'll debate, we'll read, we'll study. All truth is God's truth. As each one of these gentlemen shared their stories, I couldn't help but know that God knew their pain because God is a certain man who has two sons. And one of them runs away from the truth of the father, from the family, and says, I am done. And even the other son doesn't come close because he doesn't heed to the grace of his father. In chapter 15, verse 13, I entitled this a distant country. It says in 13, and, and he, he gathered everything together. Let me translate that for you. He liquidated his assets. He took everything the father had given him and he sold it. He converted his assets into money and he wanted to get away, to get away from his father and to get away from his father's house. He was done. An economy of words with the fewest of words imaginable. Luke tells the story through the words of Jesus. 
He blew that bundle of inheritance on loose living, we're told in the text. In fact, in 1530, it's the older boy who tells us exactly how he spent the money. He devoured your wealth with prostitutes, the self-righteous son says. In fact, anticipating such foolish actions by young men, I found some ancient Jewish texts outside of Scripture, and one of them said this, do not give yourself to prostitutes or you will lose your inheritance. The, the Jewish lads have been warned that loose living would divorce them from their assets. Or, or Proverbs 21, 17, whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine will never be rich. So the younger son fits the paradigm of the undisciplined son of Proverbs and throughout the proverbial text we have in the Bible that the obedient son will reap the rewards. And so we have two sons, one who's obedient and one who's disobedient and one runs to a far country. And in verses 14 through 15, I entitled this the, the pig pen, the pig pen. The son ran to be far away from the watchful eye of father. He fled to be free in a foreign land. But is, as always the case, sin sank in and began to man its destructive toll. You see that, don't you? We think that if we run away from God and God's word, we'll find all this freedom. And what we discover is when you run away from the father and the father's word, then you are enslaved to sin that really all freedom is found, ironically, in obedience. If you're obedient to, to the commands of God and recipient of the grace of God, then you, you understand that that's true freedom. You can exchange the freedom found in obeying the Father for the slavery to sinful nature. When you run from God, when you run from the faith of your family, you think you're free, but in reality, you become the slave. God set up the divine economy that way. You think you're running to freedom, but you get there and realize you're in a pig pen. You are a slave. There is only freedom and obedience. Well, a severe famine drives a runaway boy to the rock bottom for a Jewish lad. He's amongst Gentiles. How do I know that? Because he's keeping the swine, and the Jews don't keep swine. They are both Gentiles and pigs unclean to the Jews. 16 and 17, we have what I call the turning point. Finding himself thigh high in pig pods, the runaway boy comes to his senses and decides it would be better to be just a slave in my father's house than to be starving, surrounded by swine. Therefore, he picks himself up out of the pig pen. Once again, he learned his lessons in the wisdom literature, which says, whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, and the righteous eat to their hearts content, but the stomach of the wicked go away hungry. He learned his lesson. That language of returning and coming to your senses in 1517 is the language of repentance. To come to one's senses, to have one's eyes open, to return is to come back home to the Father. The younger son had learned his lesson along life's journey of bad choices and suffering. He says in verse 18, 
I've sinned against heaven. That's a nice word, way of saying I've sinned against God. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I, I call it the confession, 18 and 19, the confession. He destroyed his relationship with his family and his father, and he only wanted to come back not as a son, but as a slave. 1520 is my favorite verse in the whole gospel of Luke. And he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. How many times had the father looked over the horizon? He didn't just happen to be there that day. Even as he is returning home, how many times had the father looked over the hillside for the silhouette of that son coming home? No one else walked exactly like his younger son. He was looking for him. How many of you have a wayward son or daughter, and you know how God feels in this story? How many times have you checked the email or opened the mail or checked the messages on the phone machine? How many times have you longed, will this be the day? day when my child will come home while he was still a long way off. Some of you here this morning, some of you watching by way of television, maybe you're that wayward son, that wayward daughter of God, and, and maybe today you would be described as still a long way off. God doesn't care. While you are still a long way off, the Father will turn and look for you. He will run. He will embrace you. He will keep you. He will kiss you while you're still a long way off. Now, we don't know it, but an Oriental father would never run. That's a disgrace. That shows you're not in control of your time or your resources. In fact, there's some Jewish writings of antiquity that say a nobleman is known by his gait, slow and steady, dignified. It shows his stature in the community to be slow. You don't run. That would be uncharacteristic of a father of means. But he runs. Forget what my neighbors think. My Boy is coming home. Before the boy can even confess his sin, the father grabs him, kisses him. You see all the pieces of the puzzle, the running, the embrace, the kiss, the robe, the ring, the shoes, the sandals, the fatted calf. He brings him back not as a servant, but he brings him back as his own boy. Twice we're, we're told in this story that he was dead, but now he is alive. There is no worse condition than dead. There is no greater solution than being alive. My son was dead, but now he's alive. Twice my boy was lost, but now he's found. And the fact that he killed the, the fattened calf, this is not one meal. This is a whole village is coming to eat. The meat wouldn't keep that long. It's a party for everybody. Tell the neighbors, the boy is home. Famed preacher Fred Craddock 
once preached a, a sermon about Luke 15. He was following the lectionary, which most Baptist pastors, including your own, do not do. But he, he's not Baptist. He was following the lectionary. That was the assigned text for the day. And after he got through, a man came down the aisle, a lawyer, and said, I didn't like what you had to say today. Oh, said the famed preacher, you didn't like my sermon? Well, and I'm not sure it's so much your sermon, really. It's just that story. I don't like that prodigal son story. Well, what's wrong with it? It's morally irresponsible, the attorney said. What do you mean by that? The preacher asked. Forgiving that boy like that, just willy-nilly forgiving him. Well, what would you have done? The preacher asked the attorney. Well, I think he should have been arrested when he got home. That's what I think. The preacher kept waiting for a joke, and the guy never grinned. Well, what would you have done with him after you arrested him? Six years, said the attorney. Six years in prison. You see, he was part of what we call the quality control people, this attorney. He, he, he did really, the moral police, they, they want to make sure that everybody gets a mandatory sentence for their sin, no parole, and really execution is preferred if you can arrange it. You see, he was like those Pharisees at the beginning of the story. What, what are you doing with sinners? Morally irresponsible. So a few Sundays passed, and the famed preacher Craddock got a phone call one Sunday morning. They said, can you teach Sunday school? He said, well, you, I guess next week. What do you mean? No, Miss Smith can't be there today. We need you to teach it today. Well, I need some time to prepare. Oh, you don't need to prepare, Professor. It's, it's the story of the prodigal son. Well, he just had the bad experience preaching it, so he said, I'll fix the story this Sunday, and I'll make it where people like it. And so he got to Sunday school, and he was telling the story in Sunday school and he got the part and he said the boy came home and the father put him on probation and told him you'll have to work your way back into being my son I'll start you out as a slave and the father threw a great big party for the older son because he had been faithful and obedient every day and he said before I could finish the story some lady in the back said that's the way it should have been this story is broken for us isn't it it doesn't follow Proverbs. Proverbs says the wayward boy will go to ruins and the obedient son will be happy and wealthy and the dad will throw a party for him and the obedient son had done everything he was supposed to do and he doesn't get the party. The older son, verse 25 through 32. Now the older son was in the field and when he came, he approached the house and he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back. Every parent knows these words. He wanted his boy what? Safe and sound. And what you want for your child, your grandchild, safe and sound. But he became angry. It was not willing to go in. And his father came out to him. He began entreating him. And he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet I've never been given a goat. And, and, you, and I might be, have a party and be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he's not his brother, when this son of yours 
came. He devoured your wealth with harlots. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, my child, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours, but we have to be merry and rejoice. This brother of yours, notice, puts it back on him. This brother of yours was dead and is now alive. He was lost and he has been found. This older boy is part of the quality control network too. Just like the Pharisees, he represents the Pharisees in the story. He's coming in from a hard day's work in the field for his father, and he hears music. That's strange. Didn't know we're having a party tonight. Maybe I should have come in a little earlier from the field. What's going on, he asked the servant. Oh, haven't you heard? Your brother's back. Your dad's killed the fattest calf. We are having a party and a dance tonight. He was green with envy, and he would not go in. Look at verse 28. He was not willing to go in. Now, the odd thing about this story is the father greets both sons in conversation during their return. The oldest son is during, the youngest son's return from the loose living, and the older son is returned from farming in the fields. But in both cases, the father goes out to both sons equally. He welcomes them back in. I'll have nothing to do with this. You've never given me a party, says the older boy. I've done everything you've asked me to do. And the father says, Your position's never changed. Your inheritance is still intact. You've always had me, had the farm, had the family. But your brother, he was lost. Now he's found. He was dead, dead. Now he's alive. The older boy is more concerned with lost property than he is a lost brother. Sadly enough, the parable ends with the older brother standing outside the party, just like the Pharisees are standing outside when Jesus starts telling the stories. And he must realize, just like the Pharisees and the scribes, that he too is a sinner and he needs the grace of his father. But he can only focus on the sins of his brother. Every story calls us to identify. Which character are you? Are you the wayward son today, forsaking truth for your own way? Get away from the Father. Get away from the God of your Father. Get away from the faith of your Father. If you're that son, you will find yourself enslaved to sin and lost in untruth. The only way to freedom is in the truth of the obedience to the Word of God. If you're that son... The Father waits today, and even while you're still a long way off, He will run, embrace, kiss, 
the ring, the shoes. No boy of mine's going to go barefoot, God says. Or maybe you're here this morning and we identify with the older boy and our heart is so focused on the sins of others that we can't even find the party of grace. Whichever boy you are, you need to come home. You need to come to the Father's party. Let us pray. Oh God, we come to you this morning, perhaps in a congregation this size or those watching on television, there is a wayward son or daughter who needs to come home to the faith. They have tried it their way. Their way is broken. It is bankrupt. All other philosophies end at a dead road that don't have a loving father who gives grace to the crucifixion of a son. It's the only story that matters. All the other stories come to no merit. Maybe there's a wayward son or daughter today who in his or her heart would come home to God the Father. Maybe there's others of us who act more like the older's child and we don't want to give people grace. We don't want to forgive. They've done wrong. They've hurt us. And we're going to hold their feet to the fire. Both boys need your grace. Both boys need to show up at the dance of grace. Whichever one we are. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.